either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. A busy week, plenty of titles in theaters and on streaming, some doing both. So let's get at it. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we're from MadWolf.com. Let's start out with a rogue artificial intelligence kidnapping the son of a famed basketball player named LeBron James, who then has to work with Bugs Bunny to win a basketball game at Space Jam, A New Legacy. Welcome, King James. I am the king of this domain. This is the serververse. What'd you do to my son? Where's Dom? The only way you're getting your son back is if you and I play a little basketball. Pete, send this clown to the rejects. Wait. What is this? Ah! I'm a cartoon? What's up, Doc? Welcome to the Space Jam. I tell you what, one of the highlights of Trainwreck a few years ago, a movie I enjoyed from beginning to end, but one of the highlights was LeBron James, who was really funny in that movie. He really was. It was a good cameo. Yeah. And I think maybe going forward, cameos, at least right now, suit him <laughs> a little bit better. This is the lead, and he has to act against cartoons. Right. So, so green screen. So he yeah. was on his own, yeah. basically. As That's his, a lot. As far as his performance here goes, it it's not embarrassing. It, it, man, it uh, kind of vacillates between awkward and decent. There you um, go. I will say he does have more, and I don't want to get into this Jordan versus LeBron thing, but I'm Team LeBron. Anyway, uh, he has... <laughs> he says as he's got his Cavs 23 t-shirt on. <laughs> he has more natural screen charisma than Jordan. Yeah, there's a reason that does. Jordan just smirks and doesn't talk and all those, those ads. He very rarely says much. But anyway, this goes back to the 1996 original, which, full disclosure, we both think that original is a little overrated. I mean, especially with people, and I get it. It came out at a certain time in your life, and you have nostalgia for yeah. it. But it's no great piece of cinema either. Yeah, I, as you know, I cannot abide. I can't tolerate it. I can't endure it. I cannot watch that movie. And the it, original. Cannot watch it. It also has a lot to do with how you feel about Looney Tunes. And again, yeah. full disclosure, neither of us are big Looney Tunes fans either. No, no. But that being said, this one, I think, is just as much fun. It's it's updated, of course, as it pretty much has to be, It's uh, with a new type of premise and some new sensibilities, while at the same time hitting some of the same pages from the playbook. Uh, and, you know, we talk about acting. There's not going to be any big debate on your Twitter thread about who the greatest actor of all time is between Jordan and LeBron. <laughs> but Don Cheadle is a great actor. Yes, he is. And he is having a great time as the villain here. He is Al G. Rhythm, a what else algorithm inside the Warner Brothers supercomputer that comes up with this can't-miss idea for LeBron James, except LeBron James doesn't like it. Well, Al doesn't like that too much, so he wants to get even and basically drives a wedge between LeBron and his son, fictional son in this movie, named Dom, who really likes gaming and designing games more than basketball. So there was a little bit of a tension there, and Al just exploits it. And the next thing you know, they're sucked into the server-verse. And to put the James family back to normal, LeBron has to play a game of basketball with a new team of Looney Tunes against 
not Monstars this time. This time it's the Goon Squad against a uh, cartoon version of not only NBA players like Damian Lillard and Anthony Davis, uh, but also WNBA players like Diane Taurasi, uh, which is nice. That's, yep. that's a nice update in this movie. So you get that Looney Tunes, the Looney Tunes antics. I mean, all the Looney Tunes are at least at least have a little bit of a cameo. But Bugs is the star, of course, that helps uh, LeBron get the team together. And I think I did appreciate the updated humor. I think it it takes some wink-winks. It takes some shots at LeBron's image. Yeah. It, it does, yeah. which I thought was nice. And it also updates t- some timely humor about not only about big tech right now, but uh, just more timely topics in general, which it needed to do. Um, yes, it is still a shameless Warner Brothers marketing product placement tool. It right. is. Yeah. It was before. It's even more so now <laughs> because they drop LeBron into any number of Warner Brothers properties, everything from Casablanca to Rick and Morty. Right. Uh, so, yes, that's very shameless. But is it fun? It kind of is. It, it kind of <laughs> is. You roll your eyes and go, yeah, it's kind of fun. Um, and then once the game starts, it, there's some nice visual eye candy. I mean, I think the the mixing of the cartoons, uh, you know, the animation and real-life actors, it's maybe not Roger Rabbit standard, but it's pretty darn good. And it's real real flashy, I think, that the, that the kids will, will enjoy. So it's not fantastic, but it's not embarrassing. And I think it's, it's fine. It's fine. It's That's fine. right. If you want to, I know there's going to be a lot of purists that, oh, can't hold a candle to the original uh, Space Jam. I would call it a wash. Now, I will say that no, no Bill Murray type cameo shows up for fun although there is there is a fun cameo there is a fun cameo and that's all i'm gonna say in fact a lot of people after i saw after we saw it early were were kind of peppering me with does such and show show up not going to tell you i'm just going to tell you there is a fun cameo right but there's nothing at the very end of the credits i sat through we sat through to the the very no there's no stinger but there is a fun cameo so yeah it's perfectly fine fine for the family uh, it is on. It's in theaters and also on HBO Max. Correct. Out this week, Space Jam: A New Legacy. It's fine. Oh, let's take a hard left turn next for a truffle hunter living alone in the Oregon wilderness, who has to return to his past in Portland in search of his beloved foraging pig after she has kidnapped its pig. What are you thinking? I remember every meal I ever cooked. I remember every person I ever served. You live your life for them, and they don't even see you. You don't even see yourself. We don't get a lot of things to really care about. Who has my pig? Well, for all the people that have gotten used to Nicolas Cage just taking all the roles where he could be the most unhinged, this one reminds you why he does have an Oscar. It really does. And it's such a funny idea, too, because when you you just hear the premise, you know, he's a, you know, he's an isolated loner with this beloved pig and the pig is kidnapped and then he goes out to find the pig and bring the pig home. You think to yourself right away, this is John Wick, except Mm -hmm. with a pig pig. and 
Christian Nicolas Cage. And, and he's going to kick a bunch right, of ass. Exactly. Yeah. You're like, lunacy. This is the opposite of that movie. It is, and it's better for it. This is really, to be honest with you, this is a beautiful film. And you know what it made, it reminded me of was the documentary we talked about some weeks ago yeah. called Truffle Hunters. Because in the actual documentary, they're dogs that help them hunt for these truffles. But there's such competition that they fear that people will come and kidnap or kill their dogs. That's a real thing. Yeah, it, it, it's, it is a fascinating idea because then what happens once the pig has been kidnapped is he, Robin, is uh, Cage's character's name. And then he has, there's this sort of slick city guy who comes in, uh, comes every Wednesday and picks up the truffles. And he doesn't trade him for cash. He trades him for, for goods, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but he's the only human that, that uh, Nicholas Cage's character has any contact with. And so he kind of forces him to help him find. And so they first they go to sort of these other truffle hunters and they kind of work their way up the Portland food chain, like actually restaurant chain. And it is a weird, you don't expect a seedy underbelly. You don't expect, but it's kind of the sort of thing where the Truffle Hunters gives you this suggestion that there is more really doggy dog competition mm-hmm. in elite restauranting than you might expect. I don't know what goes the directions that this takes it, but it seems like uh, there is something weird there. Well, because another thing, the documentary, again, it's called Truffle Hunters, highly recommend it. The other thing the documentary showed was the the deep bond between these hunters and their dogs. And so in this case, it's a pig. But, mm-hmm. I mean, it was incredible. And when you got inside the, the real lives of these guys that hunt for the truffles and rely so much on their dogs, it was an incredible bond. Yeah, and, that, you know, and that's what you have here. And, and I think one of the things that the film does really well, that Nicolas Cage does really well, is to upend your expectations because it follows in a lot of ways the same beats as a Taken kind of mm-hmm. a movie where clues lead you to this next place and uh, and then to the next one up and to the next so you get to like the highest echelon, right? And that's usually how this goes. And of course, at each stop along the way, there's bloodshed. Mm-hmm. And it's just so interesting the way this film treats each stop along the way because this guy's special set of skills, right? They're not black ops. He's a chef. <laughs> so it's just, and the other thing is that He's mainly silent, Cage's character. You don't have any of those just crazy Nick Cageisms, you know? And so when he does finally sort of deliver a bit of dialogue with another character, it's really quite powerful. And like I said, really touching. Yeah, this is... It's a beautiful film. Director and co-writer is Michael Sarnowski. And it's just a role that I'm sure when it came around for Nicolas Cage, as as good as he is and as much of a niche as he has carved out being unhinged, what a great role to get a hold of. And you yeah. can tell you can tell that he just relishes the chance. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it, it does. And I'm not saying... I enjoy the unhinged oh, Nick yeah. Cage very much. Oh, just yeah. as much as anybody else does. I really... I look forward to those movies, even though they're usually bad. Mm-hmm. But it was so wonderful to be reminded of how genuinely talented he is. Yeah, very much so. And that is in theaters, really wide release uh, all over the place uh, this weekend. Highly recommend Nicolas Cage in Pig. Next up, we find six people unwittingly finding themselves locked in another series of escape rooms, slowly uncovering what they have in common to survive. Joining forces with two of the original survivors, they soon discover they've all played the game before. This is Escape Room Tournament of Champions. This is way bigger than last time. It's over. I'm done running. 
we can beat them at their own game. What makes you think they're gonna let you walk away free again? The first installment in this from a couple of years ago was essentially a very watered down version of a late 90s Canadian classic horror film called Cube. Mm -hmm. And um, this one just feels like a PG-13 version of Saw. Exactly. That's what it is. It's more of a teen based idea that we like to see people try to solve these puzzles and fight for their lives, but you do not have anywhere near the bloodshed and the gore of a Saw franchise at all. Really, you have very little suspense at all. And for me, it became really tedious pretty quickly. It's the same director, Adam Robitel, and at least one of the same writers. And as the synopsis said there, a couple of the characters from the first installment, including Taylor Russell, and she's back, and she was in Waves. Remember that? Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Okay, so she's back. She's one of the survivors, and they find themselves with four other strangers in another escape room. They quickly figure out that it's because they all had beaten. They had won the game last time, so they're they're getting challenged again. And it's just from one escape room to another. Uh, who survives? Who makes it out of the escape room to, to go on to the next level, and who doesn't? Again, for me, pretty tedious hardly any bloodshed at all. It redeemed itself for me a little bit toward the end as it, the writing gets takes a little bit of a clever uh, turn and calls back to things from the original film. Certainly don't want to spoil anything, but uh, it kind of made me think, okay, you get a couple of, couple of points here, but this is strictly for the PG-13 crowd. Really nothing of interest, I think, to anybody else. Uh, if you want to see... Uh, Pretty young adults trying to run through puzzles and and try to uh, escape with their lives. That's what it has. But for me, got really boring in a hurry. And, uh, of course, it sets itself up for another installment. And that's all dependent on how much money this one makes. And we shall see. But pretty much of a pass for us. Escape Room Tournament of Champions in theaters now. Next up, a film that covers the course of a hot summer day in Los Angeles as the lives of 25 young Angelinos intersect. It's called Summertime. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got the legendary Anubis and Ra. There's no one here, Ra. It's just us. Have you forgotten where we are? What kind of crazy dope magic happens in this city every day? Why are you here? Because this city needs me. There's literally a street that has stars in it with people's names. Maybe we're not even depressed. Maybe we just hungry. <laughs> what an absolutely fascinating concept for a movie, and it has no business working this well. I can't get over <laughs> how well these little vignettes are woven together. Yeah, it's basically written by all these poets. 25, actually I think there's 26 credited in the, uh, in the writing section, but uh, they're all these, these L.A.-based poets, and they present their work in these different vignettes that take their characters along a, a loosely connected series of events 
over a day in Los Angeles. Now, it's directed by Carlos Lopez Estrada, and his a few years ago, his feature debut was Blind Spotting. So good. Just, yeah, one of the clear highlights of that movie near the end. David Diggs does mm-hmm. that incredible rap monologue. Oh, yeah. And it's sort of that idea here. You take all these poets-slash-performance artists just pouring their hearts out, and they're all woven together in this incredible mosaic that shows a city and people that want to upend your assumptions of them, of the city, of what they have to offer. And it's just it's so fascinating to watch play out these different characters. You've got a kid who thinks that the city needs his graffiti. You've got these two guys, Anubis and Ra, who want to be a a famous rap duo, but nobody's listening, at least at the (laughs) beginning. You've got a woman who stands up against a a bigot on a city bus. You've got another woman who's sort of comically stalking her ex-boyfriend and the boyfriend's new girlfriend, and on and on and on. And these different characters and their lives intersect as they perform these these fantastic bits of poetry and spoken word performance, and it just becomes a joy to watch, and it just teaches you. It, it, it felt like, after a while, it felt like a more gritty Los Angeles, a gritty West Coast bookend to In the Heights, right. and to the things that In the Heights was doing for the uh, neighborhood in New York. Right. This is sort of doing the same thing in a different way for Los Angeles, and it, it was really just a joy to watch and get to be uh, get close to, to the work of some of these people, these artists that I I, I didn't know of before. No. And I'm certainly interested in now, especially a, a young man named Tyrus Winter. He plays, he plays a guy who just wants a good cheeseburger, and that's pretty much his quest for the day, and he's going to chronicle that quest on Yelp about how he thinks about these places where he goes in to try to get a cheeseburger. And there's heartbreak here, of course, but there also is a, is a joy and a pride about where they live and, and what they have to offer. And it's, it's really compelling viewing and introduces you to some great artists. And another impressive film from Estrada. Now, he was also, his, his last project, he was one of the many directors credited on Raya and the Last Dragon, right, yeah. which we did enjoy. Mm-hmm. But this is back to uh, solo work and yeah, I'm really interested now uh, going forward in whatever he puts out. So uh, it is in theaters starting this weekend and highly recommend Summertime. Let's go to Netflix next and wrap up a trilogy. The origins of Sarah Fear's curse are finally revealed as history comes full circle on a night that changes the lives of shady ciders forever. It's Fear Street Part 3, 1666. Sarah! The devil has come. To feast on our misdeeds. And his darkness grows within each of us. Sarah Fear, you know nothing good comes from those woods after sundown. What was that? Witches! Witches! The truth will follow you. Forever. Well, if you remember, part one was 1994, part two was 1978, and now we go back all the way to the beginning, 1666. And this time we get inside the type of horror with the witch and yeah, things like yeah. that, uh, the sort of puritanical horror and the witch stories and curses. And that's where this takes us to finally wrap the story up. And again, we had fun with it. Yeah, we absolutely did. I feel like Lee Yeniak, who directed all three and co-wrote all three, 
has such an incredible sense of horror as a genre and of entertainment. Uh, you know, it's interesting that the, the films are very definitely directed at the same people who read these books, which is to say high school kids. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they're not dumbed down. They're not dumb. No. And they're, they are a lot of fun. Yep. Yeah, it's R.L. Stein, as we talked about last week. Uh, this is not for the Goosebumps crowd. This is for the older, older crowd, right. because there's there's blood here. I don't think there's quite as much blood in this installment as there was last time. But, right. But there's still, there's still some blood. And it is smart, because it takes on, as a lot of these movies do, I'm thinking of The Witch and, and movies like it, it's very much commenting on current events. It is. And this one is, too, maybe not quite as subtly, but I wouldn't call it a heavy hand either. No, I think you're right. And I think some of the most um, effective moments are when the mob, the crowd, you know, the villagers, mainly the men, mm-hmm. turn on, well, the people that they feel that they can intimidate and overpower. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, honestly, I think that with all three films, that's really the statement that Janik is making. It's the same degree. It's the same thing that, that Stein was making, which is to say you've got one town which is the town of the pork people, mm-hmm. right? The town, of the they're never going to get out of this town. They're never going to do anything else. Shady side. Uh-huh. Shady side. And then this, over in Sunnyvale, that's where all the rich people live. Right. And uh, nothing bad ever happens there. And, and, and so the I think the whole trilogy is a pretty constant comment on who who's in each of these groups of yeah. people and why is that? And, and a comment on the reason that the people in Shady Side can't get anywhere is actually specifically because people in Sunnyvale can't have them get anywhere. Yeah. Or they can't continue to be where they sit. And then also here, once you go back to a period that has to do with witches and the accusations of witchcraft, then you get into things like mob rule and fear-mongering and even conspiracy theories and all Mm -hmm. that. So Mm -hmm. you're right. It's touching on some very serious issues, but in a fun and entertaining way as it wraps up this this trilogy. Yeah, and horror is almost always mostly effective when it's doing that, when it's actually yep. treading on a very current nerve. Mm-hmm. And I also think that the, the cast is pretty good, you know, across the board. Yeah. It's fun to see the same cast members repeat as different characters across the different ages. I don't think that this is a classic by any means, but I found the whole thing very entertaining. Yeah, I definitely did too. This one felt like it maybe was a little bit long, yeah, but uh, not to not to really bring it down too far. No, and I think the other thing that this one lacks that the first two had going strong was the soundtrack choices because yeah. you know in in '94 and in '78 they chose a lot of soundtrack choices that came from that era that were very very fun to hear. Of course, we don't know much about the music of 1666, <laughs> <laughs> so that would have been tougher to do. Hey, what was number one? In- <laughs> 1666. No, you're right. But it's a it's been a fun trilogy, and it was a nice way to wrap it up. So I think if you have Netflix, definitely recommend this. This entire trilogy and part three of Fear Street is out now. Let's stay with Netflix for three generations of women fighting back against those who could take everything from them. This is Gunpowder Milkshake. There's a change of plan. They kidnapped the eight-year-old girl. I can't leave her to die. Oh, you know the truth. Give the kill order. Terrible things to you girls. We're gonna bring the sky down on their heads. If I get out of this alive, I'm coming for you. God damn it. 
Speaking of John Wick, this is John Wick with women. Um, but I was excited to see it, partly because I love most of the people in this cast to death, but also because uh, Navet Papashado is the director, and he made one of my absolute favorite horror-slash-thriller movies called Big Bad Wolves. It's yes. Israeli film, and if Great. you have the fortitude, look it up. Yeah, this one is stylistically different. That This is so much in your face, and it, it was entertaining, I think the thing that I feel, and I, I think you agree, it felt put together by so many pieces of other films and other styles of other directors. It didn't feel like it was a, a, a singular or anything like a unique vision. Also, this one felt a little bit too long. It is entertaining, but we've seen it so much before. I saw so much of Edgar Wright yeah. stylistic yeah. styles in this movie. I saw a little bit of um, the uh, fast, the bad times at El yeah. Royale, mm -hmm. uh, those types of movies. Yeah. And then again, as you brought up and we talked about when we saw it, anytime you're you're looking at a badass women empowerment movie that was written by a man and directed by a man and directed by a man, it's almost always has that mother, that mothering instinct. And this one comes into play too when you have the the main character, uh, Sam, played by Karen Gillan. Her whole character arc changes when she has the protective instinct toward a young child. Which she has particular issues with because she has abandonment issues with her own mother. And I think that that is, uh, that is true. You know, all, I mean, parenting issues, you know, daddy issues, they fuel almost every comic book movie. It's not like you need to abandon them. But there is something about a uh, quote feminist film that is written and directed by men, not to say that these men can't do it or that they are not feminists, but they, the preoccupation is still very much with men. And very much with men. If you if you watch, for example, Black Widow, that's a feminist film that doesn't shout, this is a feminist film, right? <laughs> and, and so this one does. I mean, it shouts, it shouts it. Well, but also, it's also, like you said, it's stylistically very, very interesting. The action is fun. The performances are fun. There's an actual, there's a, a little bit of, I wouldn't call it a monologue, but there's a speech in this movie by a male character that calls attention to what you were just talking about because the character is, is mentioning how they never felt like they understood their daughters, only their sons. Right, and so like, he was a stranger in his own house right. until he had a son. And I, no, I think you're right. I think that at that moment, although it's Rolf Ineson who who uh, delivers that from, from the, the witch. witch in that great voice, Man. and and I love the performance. And it's actually the the little soliloquy is very well written. But what it does again is anchor the whole movie in the male perspective. We're yeah. going back to uh, I'm a dude trying to figure out what's happening, and and it it just weakens it in some way. But again, it's not meant to be a deep thought piece. It isn't. It's meant to be an action movie, and it's very much in the the you know, the John Wick idea. So instead of having the crazy hotel, they have a library, which mm -hmm. is a funny concept. It is. And there's a great cast here. Yeah. It's full of great... Uh, we mentioned Karen Gillan, Carlo Gugino, Paul Giamatti, Michelle Yeoh, Lena Headley, uh, Angela Bassett. You, there's a great cast. It's a great full cast. Of great actors. And the women do get to be badasses. And God bless them. They kick some ass. They do. And it is fast-moving and stylistic. It just doesn't feel particularly fresh. No. It feels like one of those films that w we have... We have so many outlets now that you can find movies. Well, let's here's another one of these. Yeah. Um, but it's perfectly fine. Just just nothing. We were, I guess, loving Big Bad Wolves as much as we do. This seemed like a little bit. Oh, it seems just a, a tad derivative, I guess. Yeah. Uh, for for the director, but still, it is entertaining. If you like these types of movies, fire it up on Netflix. It is Gunpowder Milkshake.
Next up, a foreign language film. Ambition and societal pressure propel an aspiring chef to leave his soulmate in Mexico and make the treacherous journey to New York, where life will never be the same. This is I Carry You With Me. Yo vine aquí para lograr algo. No dejes de confiar en mí. This is from filmmaker Heidi Ewing, who co-wrote and directed. She has, up to now, made documentaries, uh, including Jesus Camp and uh, The Boys of Baraka. Uh, great documentaries. And this one, I think, maybe started off as a documentary because, and you'll know once you get to the third act, it's clear that we're talking to real people and non-actors. And what she's done is she has spun their sort of origin story. She's telling their story mm-hmm. and bringing you up to date. And it's a beautiful, beautiful movie. And the the title is so effective because it's not just about your lover that you've left behind. Really, it's about, for immigrants, your family that you've left behind. It's about your country that you've left behind. Mm-hmm. You, you have to carry all that with you forward, even if you know for certain or likely you'll never, ever get to go back. And and I think that it's, I mean, it's just an aching and lovely film, really well-realized, great performances that lead us up to the, the true life modern times. And it's also got a message, really, about the hardships, un- unnecessary hardships of immigration. But um, I think the, the reason that it resonates is because, as, as good documentaries do, too, it puts you in the shoes of human beings, and it tells human story that you understand because you love someone, too. Yeah, it reminded me of that moment in the Rita Moreno documentary where she says that when she came to New York with her mother at the age of five, there were family members she never, ever saw again. Right. And what you just mentioned about leaving people behind, people that you love, uh, and it, it drives it home. And yeah, very tender Beautiful movie. I carry you with me, and we recommend it, and it is in theaters now. Well, if you're asking yourself, where are my shark movies for Shark Week? Ha <laughs> ha, here you go. A fun-filled flight to a remote atoll turns into a nightmare for five passengers when their seaplane is destroyed in a freak accident, and they are trapped on a raft 100 miles from shore with man-eating sharks lurking beneath the surface. Great white. We're in the current. By morning, we'll be 75 k's from here. Get a mate out? Not sure. What about the rescue boat? The current is running east. We use it to get to the coast. You're kidding. You got a better idea? So do you think it's gone? It's still out there. And it's close. Everyone get out of the water! one of those movies that, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes in, I thought to myself, well, this is really pretty. I mean, there's a lot of aerial shots that are beautiful. There's a lot of ocean shots that are beautiful. There's a cast of five people. They are beautiful. (laughs) And I thought, this is just going to be some profoundly mediocre, pretty film. And the longer the movie goes on, the more it says, no, this is a terrible movie. (laughs) This is a terrible terrible movie and luckily stick it out all the way it finally comes full circle and becomes a movie that is so terrible you're almost glad you watched it (laughs) that is a ringing endorsement great white is on vod so if you're just all amped up on shark week uh just remember that the great here comes from the shark not the movie and uh it is great white (laughs) 
And let's go to a documentary next. It's based on the 2015 bestseller, The Hidden Life of Trees, when a forester wrote vividly about his experience that trees are able to communicate with each other, and then he explores that thesis. This is called The Hidden Life of Trees. There are more living beings in a handful of forest soil than there are human beings on Earth. We can't destroy nature. It will always recover itself. Forest will return. It would just be nice if we were still around. Brandon Thomas wrote the written review of this film that you can find uh, the review uh, at madwolf.com. And he loved it. It's based on the book written by Peter Wallabin. Hope I pronounced that correctly. But it's full of just incredible, an incredible thesis. And his belief and his showing you really how trees do things like warn each other about predators and I... protect their offspring. It, if you never, ever thought about trees in this way, this is amazing. It really is. It's like a community. They're a community. It's a fascinating, and also it's gorgeous, as you probably might assume. You know, a documentary about trees is going to be gorgeous, and it really is, and they they make such remarkable use of time-lapse photography. Oh, yeah. Just stunning. And, And, you know, you really do learn fascinating pieces of information about trees. It's crazy informative. And I feel like if you are a fan of nature documentaries, I can't imagine that you wouldn't love this film. Yeah, exactly. The Hidden Life of Trees, it is out in theaters now. And again, please read uh, Brandon's review at madwolf.com. But yeah, big recommendation for this nature documentary. And one more out on VOD this week. It's a story of love, loss, and redemption. It dives into the often ignored seedy underbelly of Maine. The film combines crime, revenge, and the hope for a new life. It's called Down East. Because it's going to get you killed. This shipment doesn't make the North End tomorrow. We're all dead. So don't think about doing anything stupid. The Tommy that I knew would fight. He would do what's right. He would take a stand. The last time I did something right, two people got killed. Another chance at some point in your life to define who you are. Sometimes a man's got to do what he doesn't want to do to protect the ones he loves, to protect the town he loves. Because there's always a bigger fish. The often ignored seedy underbelly of Maine, like the often ignored seedy underbelly of Portland restaurants. <laughs> we're we're seedy underbelly out this week. We are. And you can find the written review uh, for this movie. It was written by Rachel Willis, and it's up now at MadWolf.com. She was pretty lukewarm to this film. Yeah, she really was. I mean, I think that the the performances are solid, and the story feels at the beginning a little bit cliched, but then where it goes, it's not as if where it goes is a surprise as much as the character's behavior is completely unexpected given the characters that you feel that you have come to know. So that's... Mm-hmm. It's, it's a bit of a conundrum. There are things about it, and it looks great. It really, I think... It shows you how gorgeous the rugged main coast can be. But I just think that the the payoff is it's not that the payoff is a surprise as much as the payoff is is inauthentic. And you can check out Rachel's review at madwolf.com. This is from writer director a uh, co-writer and director Joe Rafa. It is a bargain bargain watch on Prime just 3.99 if you want to check out Down East. And hey, let's head to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. 
Checking back into the lobby where Daniel Baldwin's hanging out, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer. Always gets us up to date on the latest news and release dates and comings and goings. So what's new this week? Well, it's a bit of a light week. If anyone was unable to get out to the theaters to see A Quiet Place Part 2, it is now streaming on Paramount+, Plus, and it's also available on VOD. Also, if you didn't get to see Zola in your area theaters, it will be arriving on premium VOD later this month on the 23rd. So that'll be, a, I believe, a $20 either purchase or rental, and then I'm sure it'll be available for a little bit cheaper a few weeks later. Mm-hmm. Howling Village, which is the latest from Japanese horror filmmaker Takashi Shimizu, will be arriving in uh, select theaters on August 13th and then have a VOD release four days later on August 17th. Vertical Entertainment is releasing a sci-fi thriller called Risen on VOD on August 20th. Focus Features is putting out an acclaimed drama, Blue Bayou, on September 17th. Then on October 7th, um, Phasma Events is doing a 40th anniversary nationwide re-release of Sam Raimi's The Evil Dead. (laughs) That should be good. Yeah. (laughs) At least for some of us, anyway. (laughs) 40th anniversary. Say it with Um, me, that's that's groovy. (laughs) Since we're keeping the music documentary train rolling this year, along with all the horror movies, uh, Madonna has a tour documentary called Madam X, which will be hitting Paramount Plus on October 8th. There have been some really good music documentaries this year, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's been a lot, and we, had, we still have that Beatles one coming up oh, as well, don't we? Yeah, yeah, but I think that's now going to be, that's been changed to a three, it's not a standalone movie, it's a three-parter streaming over Thanksgiving, I believe. Ah, okay. That's, so I, they're milking it for all they've got. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Moving on from release dates, there was an interesting announcement this week. I guess Pressman Films has announced that they will be making six additional Bad Lieutenant movies. And of course, uh, anyone who's not familiar with them, the original came out in 1992 and was directed by Abel Ferrara. And we got the sort of a spinoff in 2009 from Werner Herzog. But now we're going to be getting about half a dozen more from various different countries. Wow. We're famous to have filmmakers from Germany, South Korea, England, Argentina, Italy, and France all make the rim corrupt cop crime flick in their native languages, and then they'll be rolling them out over the next couple of years. Wow. That's yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> it is. It's a funny idea, though, partly because I don't think any of them have really made any money or anything. And it's just so funny because the second one came out like, what, 12 years after the first one came out? And then here, 12 years later, they come up with this. It's just weird. It is weird. Um, both of them are, uh, I'm pretty sure both film, previous films are critically acclaimed. And you know, people who have seen them tend to love them. But it's not like it's some big uh, IP that you know, one would normally exploit. Right. No, I like both of them as, as bizarre as they are. Yeah, as wildly different as they are, too. I mean, the, the Nicholas Cage yeah. one. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully the new ones will be just as wild and different. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. That's all I've got for you this week. Like I said, light week. Fair enough. You can always catch the latest news with the Schlocketeer at the Schlocketeer on Twitter. Thank you much. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, boy, we thought this week was busy. Take a look at next week. The headliner next week, the latest from M. Night Shyamalan. I just saw somebody post that they love, love, love the poster for this. It's a good one. And it's called Old. We also get the next in the G.I. Joe series, Snake Eyes. Uh, Mark Wahlberg's latest, Joe Bell. The Val Kilmer documentary, Val. Uh, Mandibles. Settlers. 
No Ordinary Man. All the Streets Are Silent. That's a documentary. It is. Also, the new Bruce Willis, Megan Fox, detective story, Midnight in the Switchgrass. Guess who's doing that one? <laughs> Danny, Legend, God. Okay. Mass Hysteria. Rot. And Candisha. Those last three are Shudder movies. Ooh. I know. Okay. Shudder. Up in the ante. Three next week. So we'll get into those next week. But uh, this week, what do you think? Space Jam. Pig. Pig. <laughs> Summertime. There's a lot to recommend and some not so much, but tell us what you thought. We always love to keep the conversation going. You can find us on Twitter. That's at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website with all of our written reviews and our other horror movie only podcast called Fright Club. Brand new episode dropping, by the way. You can find that all at madwolf.com. So keep in touch if you can. Stay well. We'll talk next week. And until then, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>